Hey gang, your old pal Justin Robert Young here with a bonus episode for you. Oh yeah. I'm giving you giving you some more stuff. So I got a new show. It's called We're Not Wrong. If you've ever enjoyed when we've done the political triad on the PX3 show featuring myself, Andrew Heaton, and Jen Briney, well, it's got a new name. Mostly because those guys hated that name. But we're Not Wrong is a brand new podcast. It's in its own dedicated feed, and it will be coming out every seven days like a regular podcast. It's a roundtable featuring those same irascible folks, Jen Briney of the Congressional Dish. What an amazing podcast that is. She actually reads the bills. She actually listens to the hearings and not the ones that you see on TV. No, the boring hearings, the C-SPAN hearings, the ones that are all, uh, uh, you know, about sifting through, finding the stuff that's worth it. If you've never listened to The Congressional Dish, go ahead and do it. I don't need to introduce to you, a lot of you at least, the political orphanage, but it is Andrew Heaton, somebody who I consider among the most funny and deepest thinkers about political philosophy that I've ever met. He is a, a rare, rare intellect and... It is my pleasure to be friends with him and to collaborate with him on various different programs. It is amazing that we get to do this show together with Jen. I think you guys are going to really like it. Heads up, unlike everything else on the PX3 feed, usually this does, this is an explicit show. There's some adult language. So if you're listening with kids or something like that, then please be aware. However, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Give this a listen. Search for it on the podcatcher of your choice. If you don't find it on the podcatcher of your choice, please hit me up directly at Justin R. Young on Twitter, The Young American on email. I will make sure it gets listed and submitted ASAP. We're still trying to figure that out. But subscribe to it wherever you normally subscribe to stuff. Thank you so much. Without any further ado. This is the latest episode of We're Not you Wrong. You and I are still reasonably new to this, Justin. Do we know when the Austin Gay Pride Parade is? Because I marched in Tulsa's and it was a blast. It turns out <laughs> I love marching in parades while waving at people cheering for me. I really enjoy this and very happy to support our gay friends here in Austin. Yes, we will. But mostly now, the parade. We will now note for listeners who have not spent a lot of time around Andrew Heaton that beyond all comprehension, He's straight. <laughs> For now. Again, the second they make a pill, the second they make like, a gay pill, like, yes, I'm going to overdose on yes, that. Yes, the, the show tune singing Ascot Sporting uh, yep. uh, Andrew Eaton indeed is straight. Impeccably dressed, I Impeccably. might add. I'm wearing a linen blazer right now with At all square. times. Uh, my name is Justin Robert Young. I'm Andrew Heaton. I'm Jen Briney. And we're, we're not, not wrong. wrong. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about whether or not we should care about people saying that elections are rigged. We're going to care. Or we're going to talk about uh, uh, Mo Brooks actively discussing how uh, committee assignments are doled out by money. And we are going to take a look at the battle for Manhattan. Maloney versus 
Nadler, a uh, new redistricting map has brought chaos to two Democratic powerhouses in the House of Representatives. Eat each other. (laughs) We are going to start here. (laughs) And that is Donald Trump. Uh, have you heard of this guy, this Donald Trump character? Game show host? Yeah. Him. 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 He has been upset. We mentioned in our last episode that he took a big, fat, stinking L in Georgia where a two-year campaign to try and sink the fortunes of the governor, Brian Kemp, uh, went down in absolute flames last week as Kemp not only beat his challenger, David Perdue, but beat him fairly handily. And then May 31st, you can take him off Twitter, but you can't control his influence. Donald Trump goes on his email listserv and does this thing. And and maybe just because my brain is rotted from paying so much attention to all this political stuff, but there are two kinds of emails that Donald Trump sends out now. One of them are versions of the things that he would have typed on Twitter. So somebody's a big fat idiot, uh, blah, blah, blah. I guess there's a sub strain now of that where it's him endorsing people. So it's Joe McGillicuddy is strong, MAGA, pure of heart and a strong right cross. Uh, uh, He has my full and total endorsement. And then he does this, the ICYMIs in case you missed it. And this one was something stinks in Georgia. Read the full article by Emerald Robinson here. Emerald Robinson, if you're not aware, is a Newsmax and One America News correspondent. She's got a Substack. And this article, something stinks in Georgia, says that the vote count from Georgia's primaries are suspicious. I read now from the writings of Emerald. President Trump has endorsed quite a few candidates in Georgia, including David Perdue in the gubernatorial race with Brian Kemp and Jody Heiss in the race for secretary of state against Brad Raffensperger. His endorsements were decisive in almost every political race in America this year. So why was Georgia such an outlier? Sure, Georgia is an open primary state. Democrats are allowed to vote in GOP primaries, but that's not the real story. Look at the real clear politics polling average. Brian Kemp was getting 52% of the votes and his main challenger, David Perdue, was getting 38% of the votes just before the race. And yet on primary day, Kemp gets 74% and Perdue 22. Nobody in any election in America gets 74% of the votes ever. It doesn't happen. Obvious fraud. (laughs) So Um. let me start here. I have more information on this if you guys want it, but let's just get to the question. How much should we care about partisan actors sowing doubts into election results? Jen. Unfortunately, I have, I think we have to care a lot and it's, it's exhausting because I don't want to care about Donald Trump ever again. Um, I want to go back to the eighties where it was like, I don't care that you're sleeping with Marla Maples. Like, I will just not buy this National Enquirer magazine, but now he's a political figure. And what about that pizza you had to eat backwards? Did you buy that? It's with a fork and a knife. I can't believe it. <laughs> what kind of New Yorker is this man? Um, but yeah, so like this is the type of stuff that I just want to go back to ignoring. But this is really serious, um, especially considering that there's 
movements around the country now, kind of like how they did Project Red Map in 2010 to control the state legislatures to be able to gerrymander the districts. The Republicans are very effective in their cheating, and they're now trying really hard to get people into office that will not be like Raffensperger and who actually will participate in the, you know, the ends justify the means if the Republican wins uh, strategy that they seem to be going for for 2024. And it's it's really disturbing because I feel like I've been an election worker for a long time in three different states. I'm quite happy with the system that we have. I mean, I do think that there's things we can do. There's six states that still allow <laughs> electronic voting machines. There's no paper to count whatsoever. Like, that's all great. There's things we can fix. But to sow that much distrust in our system... I think it can lead to real trouble, like violent trouble. Keeping in mind, I'm working on a Ukraine episode and it's just like this stuff has a snowball effect. And unfortunately, what what if a bunch of the people he duped, like, I don't know, try to raid the Capitol or something. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? (laughs) Yeah, I think he has a lot of dummies that believe him. So as much as I would love to roll my eyes and be like, oh, Trump's just lying again. Unfortunately, I think we have to care and we have to point out every time that it's wrong. Eden. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I'll, I'll add a little bit to it. Um, the, the, the part where I think that Republicans in general at this time have a point um, is I, I am uh, amenable to concerns about uh, election safety uh, or what would he, what's the phrase? Election security. Election security. I, I'm, I'm with you to a point on this. Uh, I, I talked to John Fund um, prior to the 2020 election and um, there are elements that, that I find kind of disturbing, like a lot of the statistics we have about how low voter fraud is are determined by looking at the amount of prosecutions of voter fraud. But if you don't are you if you're not actively looking for voter fraud, like if, you, if you've one guy occasionally look for it when it's really, really glaring and you only get one person, then it makes sense that you're going to have low rates of voter fraud. But that's not the actual rate. It's just what we're looking for. We're not looking very hard. So I think they've got a decent point there. Um, the, the other thing that I've always been thrown off by when I talk to my Democrat friends, um, I think Democrats have a great point uh, on uh, Republicans gerrymandering. Um, Jen, who I will note is a fellow independent, um, uh, but, but hit the nail on the head that Republicans are gerrymandering like crazy. They're very good at it. It's an odious practice. The Democrats who were previously doing it, just not as well. Are, uh, are No, no, no. You need to update that. Because we're just in another cycle where the Democrats tried to gerrymander right. exactly me, as hard as the Republicans. Obligatory like, heat state, but they're both not as parties, good at it. That's the problem. Both, the Republicans both parties are, are, are run by sociopaths whose top goal is to beat the other party and everything else is collateral damage. So, yes, they would if they could. Republicans and, have, did, and did and did and did this cycle. But, but Republicans have been better at it. One, one of the things that I find odd talking to my Democrat friends is, is if I bring up. Um, you know, there are some states where I can just walk in and say a name and they have to let me vote. There's zero form of identification going on. They will fly into a rage and say that is a Republican talking point. That is uh, just a, a phony excuse to um, to uh, create um, voter suppression. And, and kind of what I always find weird about that is I'm like, we just spent half an hour talking about how Republicans are trying to steal the election, uh, the election through gerrymandering. The last two years, we've been rightly talking about how Donald Trump tried to subvert an entire presidential election through extrajudicial uh, uh, ballot tossing. But to be clear on this, none of us think any of these people gerrymandering or trying to steal a presidential election would under any circumstance ever commit voter fraud. For some reason, 
that's totally sacrosanct. We don't need to worry about like so. So in that capacity, I'm like, yeah, I, I think that there's we, we could we could tighten that a bit, uh, and I don't have a problem with it. When we go to Trump specifically, and these specific instances, the 2020 election is not one where we're debating what was going on. It was incredibly scrutinized. It was more scrutinized than any other election in my lifetime, with the possible exception of Gore v. Bush. But it, it's not like it's a big question mark. Um, the, the irregularities that happened were no significant than any other election. And we've had a massive amount of research into this. The election was not stolen. It was not rigged. It was a lawful election. And the president of the United States either cared so little about the democratic process that we participate in that he was willing to steal the election through courts or is so unhinged that he's incapable of accepting defeat, which is also a rather disturbing proposition. Both of those are bad. I don't like a president who's either a nuts or b uh, a liar who's willing to overturn an election to to benefit himself. The problem that I see coming out of all of his rhetoric is um, it's one thing to say, "Hey, I see some backdoor options that could be abused," which is what I think most realistic voter fraud conversations are about, and we should have them because I. I and, and by the way, I, I don't want to get all Dinesh D'Souza up in this bitch, but like I, I do think that. That election, which had a lot of changes that were made ad hoc for public health reasons, a lot of states that did not do the same level of mail-in ballots that they've normally done, where it's like, if you go to Washington, if you go to California, these are states that have done a lot of mail-in ballots for a lot of years and have built up infrastructure to do it. I do think that it is reasonable to say that if you've got a lot of structures that were not built for it, that are short staff and are probably short on money, that there are there exists the possibility of problems sure. and that we should keep more of an I, eye, I, I an eye on I, it. I think a lot of the states that have been dealing with that, like Georgia, did did so correctly, where Georgia got a lot of flack here a year and a half ago, two years ago with uh, their, their voting laws. Um, the drafts were bad. The drafts, people were right um, to get. This, is, this about. is the law that they passed. Yes. Which uh, was correcting or, or yeah. reverting things I, that I, were made. I went yeah. through there and I pulled a goddamn Jim Briney. And I read the I read the bill that they were doing. And, yes. And I can tell you this that, was the one referred to as Jim Crow 2.0 right. the, the Georgia voting laws. Yeah. Uh, the ones that were passed, not the stuff they were debating earlier, the things that were passed demonstrably and unequivocally expanded hours everywhere and did not restrict hours anywhere. And nor did they make it more difficult um, for anybody to vote. They like they, they, they took care of a bunch of things um, uh, with with Trump. Um, when we get to that presidential election, it wasn't, uh, hey, can you recount the votes in the state? because we're worried about the efficacy of the system. It was specifically targeting districts that they knew were going to be democratic and asking judges to throw out all of the ballots, just going, Hey, you know, this part of uh, Arizona um, that's all blue. We think there's been problems just in this County. Don't worry about the other counties, but in this blue County, we think there's been problems and you should just, just not count these votes, just excise it from the system. I mean, it was a very clear targeted attempt to knock out democratic votes, to give it to the Republicans followed by what we now know is an overt attempt to get Mike Pence to disenfranchise states that would hurt. I mean, he was trying to steal the election. And the the rhetoric that comes out of Trump on this one, I do think is dangerous because, it, it, again, it's one thing to say, I see some potential problems and I see backdoor issues we need to deal with. We should. It's another thing to make people think that democracy is a sham, which is what a lot of the Trump supporters now think. They think that it is a stolen election, an illegitimate president, and a sham. And by the way, same goes for, uh, I think, like when Democrats say that Stacey Abrams should have been governor of, of, uh, 
of Georgia were it not for I the think, fact that I think, I think you can you can call those Georgia voters Stacey Abrams. Yes. Who said it well, herself. This is to, to spread this because it's like, hey, I'm, I'm picking on the Republicans. Democrats, like a lot of you guys were doing this exact same thing the last few years. And when, when which, a Republican wins, you go, ah, it was voter suppression. Here's an illegitimate election and all. The, great. OK, well, you need to really have the evidence on your side. I'm going to say gerrymandering evidence is there. I'm I'm gerrymandering is absolutely happening. But for the, a lot of these other things, I, I, I don't want to have people distrust democracy itself because then we're going to just have people go, well, fuck it. Maybe I'll take a gun and, and try and like overturn. But you just made my point. Ah, spoil sport gerbs here to say, no, we shouldn't care about people saying that elections are illegitimate because people have been saying elections are illegitimate in this country for Ever. It is sore loser talk. It is what happens every election. It has consistently happened. Now we can say that maybe it is getting more normalized. And I think we can all point fingers at ourselves because if if you are on a Republican or a Democratic side, then undoubtedly you have been on some level part of the mainstream, uh, the, the, the escalating mainstream element of this election was stolen be it uh, uh, every election that Russia. I can remember past past uh, 2000, 2000, it was stolen. 2004, it was the, the Diebold machines in Ohio. Uh, 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 maybe not during uh, Obama, Obama, I guess there was, there was a little bit more of a, 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 a secession of it, but certainly in 2016, it was because of Russian disinformation and Facebook ads. And, and then in 2020, it was Donald Trump's turn to say that it was uh, all these, these other restrictions and not the fact that he was an unhinged chaos agent throughout a pandemic when nobody wanted, uh, you know, any, added chaos in their lives. That being said, there is a rich, rich, rich history of people not believing that elections are legitimate. The, uh, the best medicine for that is life continuing to move on. And that's exactly what we saw in Georgia in this election that he's complaining about. There was one candidate that was running on the, this election, the, the, the 2020 uh, election was illegitimate ticket. That was his number one thing. It was his number one attack against Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp's side was here's a gas tax holiday. And also I passed this heartbeat bill. And also I've done these things in the intervening time since that 2020 election. And one person won by 70, one person got 70% of the vote. The other person got 20% of the vote in a GOP that is solidly Trumpy. Like the people that were there at that Kemp rally that I was at are Donald Trump people that didn't vote based on Donald Trump's opinion because his candidate wasn't talking about something that was relevant to them. And Kemp was talking about something that was relevant to them. Can we can we go back to the reporter from OANN? Yes. Um, Emerald Robinson. Emerald Robinson. So the, the two things that I want to question on here that you all would know better than me. Um, the the OK, the initial primary polling, I think it was initially like. 30, 50 or 32, 38 to 52. Um, and then it, and it dropped dramatically. One of the phenomenons I see as an independent is that in presidential elections, the third party candidates poll way better than they actually execute yeah. because there's a lot of people that are like, man, fuck Democrats, fuck Republicans. I'm voting Green Party. And when they show up to the polls, they go, I'm just going to vote Democrat. Right. So they're, they're like saying Republicans and then like libertarians tend to kind of split it down uh, from both parties. But that, that's a common phenomenon for the polls, for the primary polling to not reflect the actual. Yeah, election. And also it's, it's a dumb argument. I mean, I, I don't want to be the person that's making, you know, picking apart the Emerald no, but, but Robinson. The, the, no, nobody makes 73. That's just 
nonsense. number one, it's nonsense. I think I think Herschel Walker got 73 percent of the vote. And by the way, so the vote was was screwed for Raffensperger and, and Kemp, but not screwed for Marjorie Taylor Greene in that exact same primary, not screwed for Herschel Walker, who was also statewide like those other two people. His stuff was absolutely legitimate. They only went in and screwed with that, which well, he doesn't I- point out. I can't remember the exact state, but Donald Trump himself got 74% in one of the states in 2020 or 2016. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's stupid. And also what she doesn't point out, she cites one poll, which is fine, but I watched those polls very closely because I knew I was going to go there to cover it. And I was continually, anybody who's listened to PX3 knows that I was continually blown away by the fact that Purdue and Kemp, when Purdue first announced, started even Steven at like 50-50. And then slowly it was a 10% lead for Kemp. And then it was a 20% lead for Kemp. And then it was a 30% lead for Kemp. There were outlier polls that had him in the 60s over Kemp. So it's like, yes, he outperformed his outlier polls, that is interesting. It was the definite momentum of that campaign, though. There's no way you can look at that polling and say, wow, I'm shocked that this ever widening lead widened even further. <laughs> like yeah. it is it is it is a dumb, 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 dumb argument, in my opinion. But that being said, I think it is a electoral quicksand trap. If you complain about the last election for too long, I think it's a problem for Stacey Abrams that she complained about it for too long. I think it is a a hamstrung issue for Trump. He would be a more potent electoral force if he were talking about inflation, if he were talking about Afghanistan, if he were talking about things that people actually cared about now. He is doing if you want him to be a less uh, virulent element of our modern political scene, you should be hoping that all he does is continue to litigate the 2020 election because it will only become less relevant to the people that he needs to motivate to vote. He lost Georgia Republicans. That is a problem for him if he wants to continue being a national figure. I hope you're right, but I just feel like I was around for Bush v. Gore and the Obama years too. And it's just gotten so much worse and now bipartisan since 2016. There were so many people saying like Hillary is the rightful first woman president. And now this whole Trump loss or didn't lose 2020 bullshit. I yeah. just feel like it's getting too accepted I, I, to I say think that. That, that, Gore, that happened with Gore too. Gore, everybody said that the, it, it was a mainstream Democratic talking point to say that Gore was the rightful president. Well, that one was a little weird. It was a little different. It was the counts were stopped. It was a close election. They also did the same thing that Andrew said, where the recounts were like, just count these counties, not all of Florida, just these counties. So it's like there was a lot of that was the first time in my, my lifetime. County. My home county was one of them. Yeah, you caused this. Is, um, yeah, I, is there at least a kind of a material difference in that, um, Justin, you were right in pointing out that um, there are always people to contest this. Something that we've not mentioned, but but likewise falls into that, is um, while I have no intention of supporting any uh, Republican that refused to validate the Electoral College in this last election, it's not as if that is completely unprecedented. There, there are always Democrats and Republicans in each election which refuse to do so. However, it does seem to me that they are previously operating as cute oppositional fringe characters as opposed to being the main thrust of the party itself. Am I like, if you did, if you thought that they were the main thrust of the party, but I don't think that was true. I well, think I mean, the main I, thrust I think of the, I think the main Donald thrust Trump would count as the main thrust of the party. Not when he's on the way out. 
Well, when he was because by the way, he, he went, he would definitely. Yes, be it. but that's the beauty. I mean, I say this all the time on PX3. The only power is future power. The second that you don't have future power right now, the utility of Donald Trump as a political force is to be a lame duck president. The shittiest part of being a president. That means he has very little future power compared to where he was before. If he was going to have an unbroken eight years, then there's a lot of people that would bend over backwards and do a lot of favors for him up to and including Mitch McConnell and a lot of the establishment. The second he's not that, then it's time to get the fuck out. And that's exactly what happened. Sure. There were some people that, that wanted to uh, a, a virtue signal because they also want to inherit the MAGA base, but even that's looking forward. Yeah. I, I think, um, if you are a elected leader or a person in power uh, and you are attempting to subvert, subvert the democratic process, be that through gerrymandering, ballot suppression or voter suppression, or by trying to throw the whole process under the bus in order to delegitimize it, that's sick and you're a miserable person and I hope you're tossed out of politics. If you're a party faithful and you buy into this stuff, my advice is, Guys, there's so much more fun conspiracy theories you could be involved in. Like, I, I know I've told you two of my favorite conspiracy theories. <laughs> no. We, what well, is it? Say I'm it not, again. Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's, here's my favorite conspiracy theory. Yeah. We went to the moon. That happened. Right? No, yeah. we totally went to the moon. But on the way back, we didn't realize the cosmic rays would screw up all the film. So then we faked the moon landing. <laughs> so then they reshot the Everybody's moon Everybody's right. If you think the moon landing's a hoax, you're right. It's a hoax. But we did actually go. We just got somebody original. Film for you. Isn't that more fun? Wouldn't that be a more fun thing to do with your day than read Esmeralda Wait, Robinson give out conspiratorial gibberish? Wasn't it like that? Yeah, it's 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 yeah. It wasn't on tape delay. The film, the film is legitimate. I'm just saying it's it my favorite theory. I don't you know. It's fun. <laughs> That is Do you a have a favorite one. political conspiracy theory, Jen? That's actually one of my favorites too. I did a, um, I had to do a persuasive speech in front of my class and I actually got an A minus instead of an A. And I was told by the professor that the minus was just because I convinced too many people that the moon landing was fake. So I think that's an excellent <laughs> one. <laughs> well, I too am a state. That is, that is our fan. next drunk conversation. I want to talk to you about these details. Uh, <laughs> oh, the shadows? All right, moving on. I'm totally into it. <laughs> Uh, Mo Brooks. In fact, uh, uh, now that we have an editor, everybody shout out to to Will Saddleberg, who is going to be editing this show from here on out. Will, if you can uh, go ahead and play some of this Mo Brooks sound. Special interest groups run Washington. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean, literally. Now, here is how it happens. In the House of Representatives, I use that as an example because that's where I work. If you want to be chairman of a major committee, you have to purchase it. And the purchase price for a major committee, say like Ways and Means, minimum bid is a million dollars. Now, I'm, I'm talking literally here. I'm not talking metaphorically, okay? We have committees broken down by A group, B group, and C group. C are the cheapest, B are the most expensive, are middling, A is the most expensive. It's the most expensive because those are the committees that the special interest groups care the most about. So where does a congressman come up with a million dollars to be chairman of one of these A committees? You can't get it from Joe and Jane Citizen because Joe and Jane Citizen back home, they're not going to be contributing that kind of money. You have to get it from the special interest groups. 
And with the special interest groups, there is a quid pro quo. If you don't do what they tell you to do, they won't give you the money that finances your chairmanship. He is currently running... Uh, for senator and here he is as you heard talking about how prime committee chairmanships have a price tag to them that you have to pay x amount of money yep so you can be sitting on very powerful uh, committees like ways and means and energy and military and foreign policy and stuff like that he also pointed to a thomas massey op-ed from 2016 where he said that he was sat down by a lobbyist and and said hey if you back this certain thing i will give you the money so you too can sit on one of these prime committee chairmanships keaton i know that this is a a pet uh bugaboo for you explain it and uh, are these are these men lying no they're they're being very truthful and in fact i don't think anybody's going to call them out on that um, no, they're, they're absolutely truthful in that. I've spoken to multiple members of Congress about this. Um, uh, both parties, or at least the Republican Party, but I, I would assume the Democratic Party does the same thing, will give a bill to members of the House. Like they will put a bill on your desk in Congress of the anticipated donations for the party. This is what we're expecting. So not, 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 not like not the thing that then becomes a law, but rather right. what you get. A tab. Dinner. They'll give you a tab. There and we say, go. Thank you for being a part of the, the Republican or Democratic Party. Uh, as a, a member in good standing of this caucus, uh, we we believe that you should you should be giving at least four hundred thousand dollars to the uh, political action committee uh, and and just, just throwing that out there. And yes, that is how you get to become a, a committee chair. Um, the way that we historically did this, if you go back to like the forties through the sixties, the committees were very powerful. The speaker was less powerful. Um, and, uh, the committees were, uh, the, the chairs were just a matter of seniority where it's just whoever's been on the committee, the longest runs the committee, assuming that they're part of the, the party in power. Um, that changes, um, around like 1970, 1980, um, Democrats alter it where they no longer go by seniority. They go by the discretion of the speaker. And then Newt Gingrich kicks it into high gear in the nineties where he says, okay, uh, from now on, it's basically personal loyalty to me and the mission. Um, so rather than I am just going to select people, I'm going to select them specifically for a reason. And since then, for both parties, uh, it is now just a function of how much money you're raising for the party. That's how you get the chairmanship. Uh, is and, and I should add to this, it's not that you're getting money for yourself. Most congressional districts aren't competitive. Most so that, 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 is, that is something I do want to point out that I don't think is totally clear in Massey's the shorthand that yeah. he is talking in. And that is, this is not for the personal yeah. enrichment of anybody. Well, probably on some level, but this is mo this is fundraising for the party. Right. So and, this and is, this is uh, uh, don't worry. I gave it the office, this, except giving yeah, this, it the office is gets, hundreds of thousands of dollars and gets you a yeah, committee chair. This gets left out of the equation all the time. Most congressional campaigns are not competitive campaigns. They're competitive at the primary level. Uh, before there's an incumbent. But for most incumbents, they're a lot more worried about getting primary than they are about getting defeated in an actual general election, in part because of all of the goddamn gerrymandering. So the money that they're raising is not to maintain the office that they're in. That's pretty much guaranteed. The money they're raising is to give to the party. And in exchange for that, they are given a choice committee and a choice chairmanship. Now, I, I don't know how you would get around um, doling out committees. That seems to me to be a responsibility of the speaker. I, I don't really... I don't see how to affect that. But what Congress absolutely should do, and by the way, could do, 
could do on a Tuesday if they felt so inclined. This is not something that requires a constitutional amendment. This is not something that even requires going through the House and the Senate. It's done internally in the chamber that that deals with it. The House could do it itself. The Senate could do it itself. Is I would just go committees elect their own chair. Do that. If you did that, that would be the single for everybody that's worried about campaign finance reform. The biggest single thing we could do to divorce money from politics would be that right there. Just have the committees themselves elect their chair internally. Jen, basing your entire higher uh, hierog- hierography. How do you say that? Hi- no, no. Hier- hierarchy. Hierarchy. There we go. Basing that on how much money you raise, that makes for better government, right? <laughs> of course, yes. A system based on bribery. It's what the founders intended. <laughs> no, it's preposterous. Um, I just find it like I'm sitting here seething a little bit that the person that's getting out there and exposing this danger to democracy is Mo Brooks of all people. Fuck that guy. He was up on the stage with Trump on January 6th. Like, no, he is not the defender of what is right in Congress. And I can't believe what state is he from alabama arkansas alabama alabama oh they better not make that asshole a senator i didn't know he was running for senate no he's the one he's now running against uh uh not 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 to do the the like star trek uh a logic puzzle that makes the robot explode thing but now he's running he had trump's endorsement Trump took his endorsement back, gave it to somebody else. And so now he's in a runoff with the Trump endorsed person as the anti-Trump candidate. So if he does become the de facto senator by winning the Republican primary in Alabama, uh, uh, there be prepared for MSNBC to be excited yeah. about it. Who would be who would he be running against in the general? That's not Doug Jones. Is it is Doug Jones in Alabama? No, he's no. out. He's out. OK, that was a fluke anyway. I assume he lost re-election. He, yes, I believe he's out. I don't know whose seat this would be. I can look it up. You, uh, uh, Jen, I just please, love that Trump turned his back on Mo Brooks after all that. Like, that's just beautiful. There's no, yeah, there's, there's no, there's no, uh, uh you know, with, Jen, with, with Trump, one yeah. other Trump ally who's prostrated himself in front of the president and removed whatever form of testicles he might've had only to be turned on by the president when it was no longer convenient to him. Name one. <laughs> Yeah, I would say Pence, although mother has his testicles already. So I'm not sure that those I went think, to Trump. I'm going to give Pence. I'm going to give Pence credit. He grew a testicle. He did. He did. Pence, to his credit, they went, um, hey, you should just not count any states that send dueling delegations, which would knock out all the purple states that went Democrat. And Pence, to his credit, went, I am not going to hand an extrajudicial election to my preferred party rather than uh, following the actual constitutional protocol. Yeah. No, we, uh, we should Doug get Jones him is out, by the way. Doug Jones is out. Well, but let me, let me, let me ask you this though, Jen, I mean, you've, you've been around this long enough to understand that there are no perfect people in, in Congress. Like, like can Mo Brooks be right about this and uh, wrong about everything that you hate him for? I mean, sure. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if broken clock is right twice a day, so it's like fine that he's talking about this, but I just, I don't know, just the irony of it, of it being that guy. And this is getting news because he's saying it like, I don't know. Like there's no perfect people in Congress, but I would just like it for us to have fewer garbage people. And I put him in the garbage people category. I just want smarter garbage. 
I like I think we're going to get garbage regardless. So I would like more competent garbage than we currently have. Did he did he provide any solutions to this or just identify the problem? I, th- this video, which seems to be surreptitiously recorded, he can fucking call me and I'll tell him what to do. <laughs> but there <laughs> take five. Somebody minutes. get this to Mo Brooks. Yeah. Somebody get this. To Mo Brooks, come on the show next week. Yeah. Uh, uh, it'll be a one on one interview with you and Jen. And, and, and then at the end, off mic, uh, uh, Heaton will give you yeah. your his, his his prescription to how to solve this entire. That, but that one issue, yeah, uh, it, which which again, and one of the other weird slash cool things about this is um, theoretically, if Justin Amash were still in the house, I could totally see Justin Amash and Alec, uh, uh, AOC teaming up on this one. Like, I, I do not agree with AOC on a variety of things, most of which involve math and reality. But when it comes to like electoral reform, I think she could be a force for good on that. Oh, absolutely. And this isn't even electoral reform. Yeah, it's just it's just internal this, this is just how Congress yeah. runs. And and to me, the biggest problem here, I guess, is she probably hates the bribery, too. But also, if she takes away this system, she literally takes away her pathway to power. Who? Because if AOC? there's one AOC. Yeah, because AOC, the one thing that AOC, if you were to chart out AOC's future in the House, right, let's assume that she's not going to run for Senate. Let's assume she's not going to run for president. Right. Let's assume that she is going to be in the House. The way that she becomes more powerful than she is, is by becoming more of a national fundraising force. And she is a massive fundraising force right now. And so if the way that you become more powerful in Congress is by raising more money and AOC only continues to become a bigger and bigger brand and there are more and more people that want to back her play, then she will, through this system, as it is designed, rise in power, possibly as high as speaker. Maybe so. However, I'm going to give so. some credit. Why to, would she take that to, away? To, to AOC and to Bernie Sanders, both of them seem, from my perspective, they seem to be earnestly stupid uh, when it comes to economics, but I don't distrust their intent. I think from what I've seen, I think she's a passionate, true believer. A lot of the stuff she believes in is nonsense, but I think she's, I I don't think she's that cynical. I think, no, I don't think that it's cynicism at all. I think that they want to use the government for the things that they think are important. I think that they believe that the higher up they are in the chain, the more they can affect the the dialogue the more they can affect the results so if raising a bunch of money what's changed is now small dollar donations matter more and so if she is a powerhouse which she is aoc is a gigantic powerhouse in raising small dollar money if that is where the money comes from that feeds into these committee chairmanships and eventually into party leadership, then so be it. I I just don't buy that this is the only way that she'd be able to rise in the ranks. I feel like if there was a different system, like let's say in the beginning of the Congress, everybody voted on who should be on different committees. So it's like everyone gets a ballot and you nominate who should be on the different committees and you make it an actual democracy within democracy. The idea that AOC wouldn't be nominated to any of the committees, having shown herself many times on my own show, she is some of the some of the best questioning of the witnesses. She'll actually get answers. A lot of times she's one of the only person, one of the only people who's there to get answers instead of just making a speech. She's excellent at this. So the idea that she wouldn't prove herself in a better system and still have that power. Like I just don't buy that. She would sink to the bottom without the money. Yeah, plus, that's just, not, that's not how this goes. Just, though, Justin, and we the, know the, the that. other thing you're discounting is you're assuming that the primary motivation is rising in power. You were discounting the 
overwhelming desire to be loud, emotive, and self-righteous. And no, and, a that, great and, that, and that's to be self-righteous. No, and that's by the way why why Jen's uh, version would never work. If everybody voted on it, then she would come in dead last because she actually rattles cages and pokes at other Democrats. She is not a team player in 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 the sense that Nancy Pelosi will always try to uh, uh, attend to everybody's garden. She would look out for her own and she would punish those that stray because that is the way that she governs, right? Like her, her idea, the progressive idea is we need to elect more progressives because if we don't elect progressives, then they will not move in lockstep when we need to take the drastic immediate action that we need to take. That's her philosophy. It's worked really well. She raises a ton of money. Good for her. In this system, she's got a chance. In a system where she has to make friends and pretend like she, her and Henry Quay are, are, are super best buds in the way that Nancy Pelosi has to do, who has very little personally in common with Henry Quay are, and yet she was recording uh, robocalls for him in his race that just wrapped up where he won barely. AOC ain't going to do that. But if it's I, I raise a ton of money and I can and I can fund a bunch of people, you think that AOC would would men would would I mean she was uh, uh, ripping Henry Cuellar. You think she would be the 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 team builder? She would be the yes. the yes. Oh, because come on, okay. First of all, there are plenty of people that agree with her on a lot of issues. So if you're looking at who's going to sit on a committee about, you're looking at it issue by issue. There are people that would like to see her on the committee because they care about the fucking country. I do think those people do exist. I also think that in my ideal system. Everyone in Congress would be voting on who would sit on the committee. So depending on who wins, let's let's say it's a committee where you have 10 Republicans and there's going to be eight Democrats. When you get your ballot for who you want on those committees, you have to fill out the Democrat and Republican side, too. There are plenty of Republicans that have found that on AOC, when she agrees with you on an issue, she will work with you, just like Justin identified with or not Justin. Uh, Andrew identified with Justin Amash. She has crossed the aisle on anti-war type things. And there are issues that she can be negotiated with. She actually believes what she says. It's one of the things I like about her. So I do think that if in this ideal world where it isn't based on money and the people in Congress were deciding for whatever reason to put different people on different committees, I do think that would be a coalition building thing. And I don't think that someone like AOC would be the first one to sink to the bottom because I think she's a genuine person who's willing to work with everyone. I I don't think that we disagree on who she is. I think we, we all agree on who she is. And I do not look at this as, as her being callow or cynical or anything. I think that she has a tremendous gift for raising money. And I think that the reason why she raises so much money is because of everything you said, because she is passionate, because she is smart during these committee hearings, because she is somebody who is proficient about spreading the news on all that via social media. She's also really good about hitting an act blue link. She's also really good about her email marketing game. She's also really good about raising money. And if that's the determining factor as it is right now, as we pointed out, then I do think that it gives her more of a chance to ascend than if she has to play a popularity. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, you're telling, I'll you're give you that. Um, yes. Just one more thing, Andrew. Sorry. I'll give you that. I just don't feel like having watched her for all these years now that she's the type of person that because she benefits from the corrupt system would work in some way to keep it. Mm, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Bet. <laughs> so, so all of this sounds great to me. So if we, if we enact the, the Heaton uh, committees elect their own chair model. Yeah. Um, what I see is a lot of corruption and money politics goes away 
and AOC becomes irrelevant in terms of leadership, this is great. I, this if, she, if, she, if she has pissed off enough people great. and nobody will put her, I, she I can't secure the votes. Yeah. An emotional gadfly. And uh, so all, all of the, yay, the system. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> the one last thing I will say here is that I, I do think that as we transfer to less of a lobbyist, big donor system and more to a small dollar donated donations become more of the overall pie that that does increase our political rhetoric to run to either poll, because that tends to be what raises the most in terms of small dollar donations, at least right now. But, you know, like, like, no, for sure. That's, that's true. Like um, if let's say theoretically I'm running for the Senate, and or I'm running for the house or something. Are you announcing? Um, uh, nope. And <laughs> that means he's running. That means he's running. That means he's running. If he says no, if he says no, it means he's running. I'm just dedicated to the current leadership and want to support. The oh, even more. I, I have. There is no place that I would have a constituency, although I would love to be in the state legislature someday. I think that'd be fun. But it, it, not right now. No, but what I was saying is. I, I'm uh, um, I'm at a donor dinner and I'm talking to somebody about how uh, zoning laws screw everything up. I might be able to convince some millionaires to give me some money on that issue. I'm not going to convince like, but if I, if, if it's me going small dollars, then it's just me reading Dr. Seuss uh, or, or shout it. Like it's, 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 partisan boilerplate platitudes or what I mean, we small. literally all make our living on small dollar donations. Yeah. Yeah. So and we, we've are, proven we are better. That by yeah. Not we are better running, than most at doing it. <laughs> and by not running to the polls, we're fucking all of ourselves. <laughs> right. I think we've all agreed that we would be making more money if we went partisan hardcore. Yeah. Uh, interesting. What, what are the, so one of the bills that came up um, a year and a half ago alongside the legislation that was happening in Georgia was the house bill reforming um, elections in the United States. One of the good things that was in the bill was it would it would attempt to basically outlaw gerrymandering through some mechanism, which I supported. One of the things that they put in there that I did not like was um, there was going to be like a matching system for small dollar donations Mm -hmm. where uh, like if it's ten dollars or less, the federal government will will throw in its own ten dollars. And I was okay. so you're just trying to like, God damn it, you're rigging it again rather than just like letting it be you're you're trying to figure out. How do we rig it a little bit to benefit our guys? And also in a really short-sighted capacity too, because it's like, you think the Republicans aren't going to figure this out in the next term. And then all of a sudden they're going to do the same thing. All right. Last topic. But before we do that, uh, we are going to get a a dedicated email address, but the young American at gmail.com is where you can send your thoughts on anything that we have said here. And at the end of this, we're going to debut a new segment. You're not wrong where we read some of the stuff that was sent in over the last week. Uh, please contain your excitement, Jen, because I had to read your name about a million times based oh, on. Uh, fun fact, the only, the only message that I got about this was about singing lawyers. Yeah, don't tip it. Don't tip it. We're coming. We're coming. It'll be there in two seconds. Uh, and honestly, my hit. inbox wasn't so bad. People were, they just disagreed with me, obviously, but people were generally nice. There was a I, few I, I that pissed me that, off, but. There, there are there, there. Yeah. By and large, uh, we, uh, we got, we got some great, 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 uh, stuff, including one that I'm going to read for you in a second. Before we do that, we are going to talk about, uh, Maloney versus Nadler. We talked a lot about gerrymandering Uh in this, in this episode, the Democrats who run New York tried to gerrymander New York, uh, 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 pretty explicitly. They were overturned by a court, the court, drew their own districts and 
because New York has lost population, it meant that two of the biggest Democrats in the House that have coexisted for over 30 years, Nadler and Maloney, will now be running against each other in the Democratic primary. They are both on powerful uh, uh, committees. I I believe they're both chairs of powerful committees. This from the New York Times. On an island known for Democratic infighting, Mr. Nadler and Mrs. Maloney, 74 and 76, respectively, have managed to coexist for peacefully for three decades. They built parallel political machines and accumulated important committee chairmanships. Along the way, they had become powerful stalwarts, if not political mascots in their district. Miss Maloney, a path-breaking feminist and a widow of an investment banker, represents the East Side District so wealthy it was once christened the Silk Stocking District. And Mr. Nettler, a proudly opinionated old school progressive, holds down the West Side. But their long truce came to a shattering end last week when a state court imposed a significant revision on New York's congressional map. The new lines have royal Democrats across the state, but perhaps nowhere has the change been more disruptive than Manhattan. So, Jen, you have listened to more congressional testimony than anybody legally should be allowed to. (laughs) I'm sure you have heard the voices of these two Congress folk. If you could choose, keep one and ditch the other. Who stays and who goes just by your opinion of how they handle themselves in Congress? I keep Maloney hands down with no hesitation at all. Why is that? So in this Congress, I've been looking for interesting hearings because like when I'm walking the dog and stuff, I'm always listening to a hearing. And Carolyn Maloney has been chairing, I think it's the House Oversight Committee. And two times this year, she has launched an investigation that has led to a bill becoming law that has fixed a very real problem. So one of the episodes that I did was about these baby death beds. They were basically like these sleepers that um, who was selling them. Oh, it was the project. rock and play yes. sleeper, if I remember correctly. Yes. yes. The it was a great and, episode. And they, were, they weren't meant to kill the babies. That was not the purpose of them. It wasn't uh, the purpose, but they knew it was happening. And for 10 goddamn years, because they were making so much money, they kept the prop. They kept the products on the market. So, yeah, the, pro- the problem was, is that they made babies go to sleep faster. So so parents like it when they put the babies in the sleeper that they go to sleep. The unfortunate side effect was it was putting the babies at an angle that some of them didn't wake up. So yeah. uh, while bleary eyed parents were like, oh, no, no, I want the one that puts that is that that, that is better. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it also kills children. Yeah. Uh, infants. And so Maloney did an amazing investigation on this. She called the CEOs in. They knew they knew this was happening. Um, so she identified the problem. They looked at like our recall system here in the United States really exposed to me how powerless it really is, how much we leave it up to the private corporations when there's a problem like our our regulators are not as empowered as we think they are. And so she exposed this whole thing. And what came out of it is the same day that Biden signed the Ukraine money into law, that 40 billion dollars. He also signed in a ban on those products in the United States. That is directly because of, yeah, because of Carolyn Maloney. Then the second one is that this has been going on for a long time, but the post office has been in financial trouble because in 2006, a Republican bill that I think was it was intended to hurt the post office, made them pre-fund their retirement payments, not only for the people close to retirement, but for all of their employees. So if you have an 18 year old kid delivering mail, you have to pre-fund his retirement. It was ridiculous. And so for 
15 years, we were told that the post office is a failure and it's financially screwed and we should privatize it and all this stuff. But it was it was a rigged game. Long story short, Carolyn Maloney did an investigation on that. She wrote a bill and literally saved the post office. So I just did an episode on that, too. It was a great bill. I really had no problems with it. So um, startlingly anti-worker. What is? I'm joking. Oh, okay. I'm joking. I was like, I'm what? Joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. So, so if I'm one of the nut jobs that actually wants to, to what I call liberalize the post office, I mean, plus one for her on saving <laughs> babies, word. minus one for her on liberalizing the post office, like our allies in Europe have already done in socialist countries like England, Germany, and the Netherlands. Okay, but the post office is guaranteed to us. It's like the one service we get constitutionally. So let's just keep that. Plus, do you really want to be sending a letter across the street for $12 instead of 53 cents? Like, God, if only there was some sort of, I don't know, free instantaneous medium I could rely on to get us past the stagecoach stuff. Yeah, but you know what? Sometimes we still send stuff in the mail. We have physical packages. What I use FedEx. Yeah, for five times the price. Like yeah, this is I'm, certain- I'm with I'm with I'm with Jen here. You have clearly never done e-commerce. Yeah. Uh, well, and actually, no, that's a good point, Justin, because um, you should no, absolutely, nothing. Nothing is cheaper. You should than, than the US love the post office if you send like bulk magazines because they end up being the predominant. Uh, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. You're going off on a tangent, but also I'm, I'm you've, never, you've never you've never you've never sold stuff on the Internet and had to ship it. Yes, uh, because you, because you, that you, is if, that is if, if I, I would are, I would have not had a, a retailer. I totally get yes. why if you're a retailer, you want the government to subsidize your costs. Uh, hell and, yeah. Hold up. Hold hell on. yeah. Big pause. They're not subsidizing shit. The post office is completely self-sufficient, especially now that these handcuffs have been taken off of the post office, which was the entire point of Maloney's bill that got put into law. It's not costing taxpayers a dime. There wasn't any bailout there. There was no money that was given from the federal government. None. None. Okay. So I mean, you, you are taking otherwise guaranteed money away from these poor 18 year old postal workers. So again, starting with <laughs> anti-worker. This, but- this is important to me here. Be very clear on this. Tax dollars are not going to the post office. It's self-funding through stamps, et cetera. Correct. And packages. Okay. And so they're, they're redoing how they do stuff. Um, there's a, a governing board. So we kind of, we have to pay for the governance of some of it. Um, but that's just because it's connected to our government. But as for like okay. the operations of the post office, now that they have this giant debt burden taken off of them, which was government imposed, it was it was a requirement that no other organization, public or private, has ever had to do. Now that this poison pill has been eliminated, they're actually going to like they were profitable before that was put into law in 2006. And I have no doubt they'll be profitable again, especially with e-commerce being what it is post-pandemic. I mean, I'm still buying stuff on Amazon. I wasn't buying before. Jen, would you be okay with um, removing the monopoly on mail that they have? They don't have monopoly. FedEx and UPS exist. No, no, no. no. They they legally have a monopoly on on just regular mail. That's why if you send anything by FedEx, it has to be um, a partial expedited parcel or whatever it is. There's a carve-out exemption in in federal law. Yeah. So like that's okay. Good. We, so Jen, I'm happy because we're not having to subsidize people's uh, uh, magazines that they didn't order through tax dollars. And also I'm happy if theoretically there could be a private mail uh, mailing organization. So everybody wins. Sure. Everybody wins. And the point like back to Nadler versus Maloney, I have now yeah. identified two pro- problems that Maloney has been directly involved in solving. 
And that's, so then, uh, uh, yeah. So Nadler, big old bag of shit, huh? I mean, I haven't seen him do anything. The last time he appeared on my radar, <laughs> how he many was, post offices has he saved? <laughs> well, he was just doing all of the Trump impeachment stuff. Like that was the last yeah, time he, he, was he was on my show. Was, the he Ukraine was being one. A very, yeah, he's he's a he's. You know, the old the old saying was the most dangerous place in, in Washington was between a Chuck Schumer and a camera. Yeah. And mm. and it, it kind of feels like like Nadler is is of that that similar ilk. Yeah, he's that, a uh, showboater. Yeah. And I don't find him to be way, all that effective as a legislator because they failed in that impeachment. So you know, he's only, just not very only good. one poll so far in this head to head democratic heavyweight matchup made for New York City and it is Maloney up double digits up 10 Good. points right now uh, at least according to the early polls uh, the only poll singular in this race that makes me very uh, happy hey, to hear Jen is is my friend who knows way more about these candidates than I do and who knows my politics would I prefer Maloney over Nadler I think you like problem solvers um, and do. not just like shameless Democratic Party hacks. So like, yeah, I think you'd like Maloney more. OK, I support Maloney then. I'm that's that's who if anybody comes asking who yeah, I support this I mean, primary as a guy living in Texas who used to live in her district. By the way, she was my congresswoman for a while. I I, I think, yeah, the the widow of an investment banker <laughs> on the on the east side of Manhattan is somebody that you might swipe correctly on on Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. We like to read good emails from you guys. As Heaton said before, uh, this is one that came in. I wanted to let Heaton know that singing lawyers are a real thing in Filipino culture in a cultural practice called Balag's Balagistan. Man, pronunciation has been my strong suit here today. You want to take a shot at that? <laughs> uh, it's right, right down there. Uh, vast majority. Where are we at? Uh, uh, no, but uh, there we go. Uh, Balagistan, something like that. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, oh, yeah. I wanted to let him know that singing lawyers are a real thing in Filipino culture in a cultural practice called Balagista. Uh, yeah, Balagatazan. Balagatazan. Balagatazan is a form of political right. philosophical debate tone and freestyle poetic verse and is a huge reason while freestyle rap battles are still a big part of Filipino culture today. Even elementary school students in the country memorize and perform some of history's most famous Balagatazan debates. Uh, and and here, thank you for sending me this that brightened my day. The world is a little bit more awesome to me than it was yesterday. Uh, here we go. Will, if you can play the clip uh, oh, yes. uh, right okay. now. English <laughs> And that is the perfect way that we can segue into guns. Obviously, <laughs> uh, it was a, a very emotional episode as we were only hours away from the shooting in Uvalde. When we recorded, we got dozens of emails, messages and tweets on our conversation. Most of them, I will say, from Second Amendment supporters. The vast majority, can I say very happily as we build a new budding combined community amongst all of our three uh, various outlets were very constructive if passionate. Almost all of them though, reference the quote unquote gun show loophole. And I don't need to read all of them, but I will read this one, at least part of it. This is my favorite because 
It seeked to give Jen specifically an argument to advance her beliefs for persuadable gun owners uh, uh, that might be receptive to it by clearing up a, a few quick misconceptions. So I'm going to read it here. While my experiences are limited, I've been to two different gun shows. One large one here in Texas is called the High Caliber Gun Show. You can look it up. I've been to this one many times and I've purchased firearms there. This is not a Wild West black market. This is a place where a lot of licensed resellers come in, bring a lot of inventory and lay it all out. There are several thousands of firearms for sale and 99.9% of them are from a licensed dealer who are required to do a background check as well as a legally document, a legal document to transfer the firearm. While there are some smaller booths with somebody selling two to three personal firearms that don't require the same background check and documentation, it's extremely rare in my experience. I wanted a weapon that was not registered to me, or if I couldn't pass a background check, but still wanted a firearm, a gun show is not where I am going to go. Thousands of guns, but I can only pick from 10. No, thanks. If I were unable to pass a background check, but I wanted to shop for a firearm, I'm heading online to sites like Texas Gun Trader and the Outdoors Trader. Perfectly legal for me to find a private party willing to sell me grandpa's hunting rifle, quote unquote. It's the process that everyone is worried is taking place at gun shows, but instead happens in Walmart parking lots. Is it a pedantic difference? Yes. But if you are trying to persuade people who really like guns, who know the differences between these things, then somebody can look silly very quickly and points out like AR-15s are not fully automatic and it doesn't stand for auto, uh, assault rifle, which is what some people think the AR yeah, my, stands my for. My experience is if you use the phrase assault rifle, people will start punching holes through drywall and screaming it is a nonsense term. So it, it is not helpful to you to say assault rifle what, what, in this conversation. What I largely got, and, and let me also say something that I didn't write down from that email, which was uh, this particular emailer saying, if I own a lot of guns, if I could be promised that if I destroyed all of them, that nobody would ever die in a school ever again, I would incinerate them all tomorrow. Uh, uh, so like that, that is his line in the sand. He, he is, he is for it for other reasons. And he obviously is a gun owner for his own personal reasons. Uh, but I did think in the spirit of keeping everything as constructive as possible, the idea of gun control advocates at the very least, learning some of the terminology so you uh, uh, can at least speak the language of persuadable gun owners to further your political aims, I thought was constructive. And, and I am I am glad I'm yeah, glad well that done, he Mr. I'm glad that he wrote it. Yeah, I well am, done. too. And I really um, you know, when I said that it was just the first nickname that popped in, popped in my head because I, yes. I wasn't in a world of nuance last week. Let's just say that you were not. Yeah. Um, because it really comes down to the licensing. There's background checks. If you get it from a licensed dealer, there's no background checks if it's unlicensed dealer, which is bananas to me that you can just get it from someone else off, off the street. And like, that's just an unregulated situation. And, and, and by wild. the way, there's another thing about, and people wrote in about the problems that we have with our current background check system. Yeah. And, and the idea of expanding it universally will only create a larger bottleneck in bureaucracy. If we do not fix the system that we have now, that does require, even if you believe that we have an insufficient amount of background checks, I do believe it is a noble pursuit for which, by the way, you can get 
Republican votes on. Dan Crenshaw was out here over the last week talking about how he is he is for a fix Nick's bill and Nick's is the the system for which you run your background checks. So uh, I, I do think that there is as we kind of resettle from the adrenaline fueled uh, uh, emotion of watching such a horror happen, that even if what you want is a larger background check system, then let's focus here on fixing the bottleneck uh, where these, this thing can take a certain amount of days and often come back with a, a provisional. Okay. Uh, uh, that allows you to take the gun, but not because you really passed the background check because there was a time in which expired yeah, the, on how the, the long the it took for them to do system it. Works is um, for for most of these background checks, it's an instantaneous verdict. There's a very high amount of false positives where someone has the wrong name and yes. they aren't able to get the gun, which makes the science on this kind of hard because I'm doing an episode on guns next week on my show on, or I should say explicitly on gun policy next week. Uh, and there's, there's a high um, false positive. Um, the, the, uh, the waiting period thing is as of now, the law is if you do not have a confirmed negative or positive within three days, then it defaults to the gun petitioner. Yeah. The, the FBI can hold you for three days. And if they can't figure anything out in the three days, then the, the case ends. And, and it's crazy. It, it, yeah. And if your name is John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt and there has been no uh, 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 other person with an FBI record called John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, then you will probably get passed. If your name is Mike Johnson and assumably somebody in the FBI's registry named Mike Johnson has done something that would rise or raise a red flag in your background check, then you might just, you know, the time would run out and then you get your gun. The problem being you got to fix that background system, especially if you want to expand. Can I, uh, can I put out a listener request? This is going to come out this week, right? Yeah. It's gonna be, yeah. So I, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm doing an episode on gun policy um, specifically, like what are the actual policies that are being floated? Not pie in the sky or, you know, like not, not stuff that's not going to happen. Things that, what, that might actually happen that would be constitutionally solvent and could theoretically hit Congress. I'm doing an episode on that next week. I was going to do it this week. Turns out, uh, Gun legislation and gun policy takes a lot more research than two days. So I'm planning to do it next week. Um, if you are listening to this program and you have, uh, and I want to stress this, efficacious policies that you think would make a difference and you can tell me why, and, and I'm, I'm happy to hear from both sides on this. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say don't, it would not be helpful to me to send me things that are this is self-evident. I can't believe we haven't done this yet. That's not going to help. You me. are you are so screwed. But it, but if, you're but so if, screwed, <laughs> you have to just say efficacious stuff and understand you're going to get the garbage. Well, no, no, because here, here, here's who I would actually really like to hear from. Is um, in my experience, um, uh, the 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 pro gun people get very angry when people don't know terms properly or when they suggest things that are just kind of unfounded. Right? Yeah. If you were in the pro gun camp, but there are there are forms of legislation where you're like, I think that that would demonstrably help. And I think it makes sense. I would love to hear from you because I would love to hear what you guys think would be a good policy. It might be very minimal, uh, but if you've got something that you're like, actually, this would make a, a, a demonstrable difference. Uh, I would love to hear from it. Um, yeah, that's great. And did you hear that the, the house is putting together a package of gun related things. Have you heard this yet, Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, it's a, it's a, it, it sounds like one of those, one of those Pelosi specials. I, I show, but I, for, for, in terms of the policies that I'm looking at, so people kind of get a sneak preview. Um, uh, I am 
because most of the policies are coming from the left. There are some things on the right, like uh, um, so like here in Texas, uh, uh, removing uh, gun free zones. Right. So you, you like, like like there are there are policies that are coming up, but most of them are coming from the left. I'm mostly looking at uh, the Brady, the Brady campaign, uh, every town and um, the gun violence center. I can't remember uh, for, for the policies that they're recommending. And I'm uh, one up before anybody emails me here. I am looking at these <laughs> and I am looking at them to see if they would be effective. <laughs> I'm, so not giving a, I'm not giving, yes, these are all things we should do. I'm trying to figure out if they, you should her. give out your personal phone number now yeah. so people can get to you faster <laughs> with their, with yeah, their yeah, gun yeah. ticks. What's uh, killing uh, me about hope- this new package is like, you know, one of the reasons that we were talking about background checks in that last episode to begin with, because I was just like, this is an area where we can find common ground. I can think we kind of are showing that right here. It's such low hanging fruit to deal with just that. And there's other things that people would want. And instead of going one by one and being like, okay, Republicans, this one's obvious, right? Like, let's pick this one thing that we can do about guns past this and have five different bills where it's like you can take or leave pieces of it. She's going to do another goddamn omnibus bill where everything is smashed into one and the Republicans can find one thing they don't like about it and kill the whole effort. Like, I'm just so sick of Nancy Pelosi and her omnibus fake efforts when they do it this way yeah. it's fake and i, I hope, this, I is, hope this, this is signaling in order to try and uh, goose the faithful to come vote in the midterms i, 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 yeah. I hope just like when she did her civil right or uh, police reform legislation she kneeled in uh, kente cloth and then she ripped uh the trump speech behind him i hope this time like a strong man she bends a gun like right, <laughs> right in front of the press. I hope that's, that's the performative. You're going to go big or go home, Nance, you know? Uh, uh, although I guess her husband had a hard time getting home last weekend. So maybe that's a larger problem. Can you imagine having a hundred million dollars and not taking an Uber? Like, are you really not able to afford this? Or not having a helicopter. I miss that's <laughs> really, it's like, I forget like that's oh. taking an Uber, taking Uber's poor people problems. Like, like how do you not have a helicopter or a jetpack or yeah, something like to get higher. from Napa to SF? Yeah. Wait, did, she, did she claim she couldn't afford cab fares? No, no, no. no. Her Paul husband Pelosi is a drunk driver. Yeah, her husband oh. uh, uh, got busted for a DUI in Napa, which for anybody who's been to Napa, uh, uh, that is a problem. You, you are, you, they, they are out for you in Napa to, to, to get you for DUIs. They normally don't get the Paul Pelosi's of the world. And it was only because there's some real shady elements of exactly what, what kind of accident he got into and he got arrested, but not charged. And there was, there was like a bunch of really, really weird stuff around it. Yeah, but yeah, first comes to shove. He got lit in Napa and then tried to drive his Ferrari uh, somewhere, either to somewhere else in Napa or to San Francisco, it is unclear and got popped. And then Nancy Pelosi threw him under the bus and was like, like, I have no idea. I was in, I was in, uh, I was on the East coast. And keeping wow. in mind that Napa is designed for people to go from winery to winery to get yes. drunk. So it's one of the easiest places in the world to hire a car, to drive you around for the day. Even if you're a poor person, like we are like, yeah, Paul Pelosi, not being able to hire a driver is the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard i hope he goes to jail for a long time what on earth would make him think he's untouchable though <laughs> <laughs> i know well, right? how would he get how would he get that in his head the poor little he lad just, he just goes uh, officer officer excuse me and he shows a picture of him banging nancy pelosi <laughs> hey you see this this is the speaker, speaker i'm tapping <laughs> 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 
really want to fuck with me? I'm Paul Pelosi. And he drives off the cliff. Just, just the worst jerky on jerky. Ever. Just, <laughs> just a rhythmic slapping. And there's, there's some, there's some doo-wop song in the background. <laughs> She's covered in ice cream. He's lapping it up. Piles of laundry. (laughs) Rhythmically humping each other. Oh my God. Uh, Jen, what do you have coming up? I don't even remember after that. Um, (laughs) I'm working on a Ukraine episode. I watched a bunch of hearings, learned a bunch of stuff. I don't know how to put it together, but I'm kind of looking at the big picture of like, okay, this is happening. How is it affecting the entire world? And I read all four Ukraine laws. So I'll tell you exactly what's in those two. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, considering we gave them $40 billion and now they look like they're losing. Uh, uh, that's uh, uh, oh, oh geez. Uh, Heaton, you're working on, on gun working, stuff and you want everybody's gun take a, no matter what. I'm probably going to do a couple of these. Please I, send them USPS. Yeah, let, uh, let me, let me clarify a couple of, first of all, I'm planning on doing a couple of these because it is such a large, a large topic that I'm at least going to split it into two episodes. One on the ideological side of it, of guns as a bulwark against tyranny and one on the policy side of it. And the policy, I'm going, okay, ideological talk, very good. We will have that talk. I want to do the policy thing where we're just approaching it as engineers to see would this, even if we disagree with it on a moral level, would it work? Yeah, I'm, I'm principally interested in that. So I will ask if you want to reach out to me, please do not, if you are pro-gun control or pro-gun rights, do not send me a preemptive tirade. I'm going to ask you to actually listen to the episode before you send me a tirade. But again, what would be really helpful... He doth protest too much, is, ladies and gentlemen. That's what he wants. He wants, he wants. Well, no, because this, is, this is the thing that I keep finding is I keep finding things where I'm like, that thing doesn't really bother me. That gun control legislation doesn't bother me. And then I think about it and I look at the data and I'm like, oh, it wouldn't do anything. It, it would be, even if I were in favor of it, it would be in, inefficacious. So I'm, I would love to find things that you think would be efficacious. There we go. Oh God, this is my life. (laughs) And, uh, uh, I'll tell you what, if you are really, really, really excited to hear a gigantic deep dive on the fight during Obamacare for the public option, then boy, howdy, do I have a deep dive for you in my Friday episode. Bill Share, one of my favorite guests uh, who writes for Washington Monthly, amongst other folks, was working in an activist organization during the 2007 uh, window where they were trying to push a public option. Uh, uh, and so he was with this debate from the very beginning and has some great insights into how it was an afterthought and then it turned into the only thing that mattered. And I believe was a large part of the reason why progressives kind of split off uh, uh, from Obama and and became a, a more uh, virulent political force outside of it and, and in a lot of ways animating the the rise of Bernie Sanders. So uh, uh, please go ahead and check that out. That'll be the Friday episode where we also talk about Joe Biden uh, all of a sudden caring about inflation and making his treasury secretary say she was wrong on national television. Uh, so that is uh, that is coming up. I'm so excited but- to hear that episode because I remember those debates. That was the first time I was actually tuning into hearings to hear yeah. the information about that. It was riveting. 
And then of course they did nothing, but like, it was the first time I was really dialed into Congress. So, so yeah, the, the, the meat of the interview is about how progressives have long believed that Obama fumbled and took too much time trying to court people that were never going to vote for things. Uh, and so a lot of that perspective made its way into the Biden White House, which has thus far produced less than what Obama produced because mm -hmm. they believed the the way to get things was by calling the banners saying, if you're a Democrat, then we're going to put things on the floor and you either vote for it or you don't. And if you don't vote for it, then we're going to primary you. And and uh, if, we, if, if you got 50 votes, then 50 people are going to show up or not. And they wound up finding out that, you know, when two people say no, sometimes they actually mean no in Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. And maybe that's why Obama was spending as much time courting people and shaving things out of bills because his goal was to actually pass things uh, as opposed to uh, Biden. But yeah. anyway, you can listen to all that on Friday. It's still passed with zero Republican votes even after all that. So, you know, there was one in the House. No, there was. I don't think so. On Obamacare? There was, there was a Republican in the House that subsequently lost the election. And I think maybe he pulled his, I can't remember. It was like one guy. Because they like, there was this joke that it was technically bipartisan, but then he like probably lost it. I, I, I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> there we go. That's it for this episode. Uh, 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 well, bye. <laughs> we don't have a sign off. <laughs> We're not wrong. Just bye. Bye. Dog and Pony Show Audio.